Welcome to Skip the Queue, a podcast for people working in or working with visitor attractions. I'm your host, Kelly Molson. Each episode, I speak with industry experts from the attractions world. These chats are fun, informative, and hopefully always interesting. In today's episode, I'm joined by two guests, Carlton Gajadar, a visitor experience professional and co-founder of the Visitor Experience Forum, and Rachel McKay, manager of historic royal palaces at Kew, including Kew Palace and the Great Pagoda. We discuss lockdown experiences in both the UK and Kuwait, crisis management for museums and heritage organisations, and improving sector cooperation. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and all the usual channels by searching Skip the Queue. Oh, guys, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's, it's really, really lovely to have you both on. Yeah, no, thanks for having us. Um, we're really excited to come and join you today. So yeah, let's let's do this. Let's do that. Well, I mean, you know how this podcast starts, right? I know. So it's icebreaker question time. <laughs> right, I've got good. Oh, I've got really good ones for you both. Right, Colton, I'm going to start with you first. So what would be your superpower and why? I will say invisibility. Yeah. I can go anywhere and everywhere. Nobody will be able to see me. And I can kind of snoop on people and get all the go- juicy gossip and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I love so that. that's what I would do. I'd be, I'd, hun- yeah, 100%. <laughs> we'd, all, we'd all take that opportunity, wouldn't we? No. <laughs> right, Rachel, I've got a good one for you. What's your favourite Eurovision song? <laughs> wow you've done your research okay good my god well uh, it's, that's an easy one it would have to be the last time the uk won so 1997 katrina the waves love shine the light is the best song but i do think that like almost every eurovision song is a banger there's only a few that are not so you know i could really choose anyone but that's got to be the best one i actually cry when i listen to it it's a real emotional experience for me it's a really good song though like it's surprising how many good songs have come out of eurovision right no it's not a surprise (laughs) it's a fantastic musical contest it is glorious i've got really good memories of listening to it with my um with my nan weirdly and my nan was a massive eurovision fan what about so while we're on this topic what about the um the icelandic song from this year because that was good that was awesome i was actually thinking about whether i should buy tickets to see them in april because i think they're fantastic and i really want to go to iceland i've never been and i think well, actually, they could win next year now that they've got, because they've got a bit of a following now. And um, yeah, so I think 2022, Reykjavik, like that's, I'll see you there. <laughs> I mean, it's a great, you would love Iceland. It is a great place. That yeah. is, we went about three years ago and it's genuinely my, it's been the best place that I've ever been. It is, yeah, really it is so spectacular and so different. And I kind of like, I'm a bit of a winter girl, really. I kind of like coats and hats and boots and stuff. So it's my, it's my dress vibe there. I went to um, Lisbon in 2018. And that was the first time I'd actually been to the contest. And it was just amazing. Like the corp- the kind of cooperation between everybody and how much everybody loved each other. Like it was just hugging everybody that was wearing all different flags. And especially kind of post-Brexit. It was just such a lovely feeling. Oh. It was one of the best weekends of my life. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I'm so glad I did my homework with this question. <laughs> Right, Carlton, back to you. Oh, I like okay. this question. Right. Um, if you can have an unlimited supply of one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, I love pasta. Oh, yeah. I can eat pasta until I die. Honestly, any sauce, 
any shape of pasta, just bring it on. Carb fest, massive bring carb it fest. On. Yes, I love love pasta. I'm so with you on that one, actually. Mm. Although I'd be a whale because carbs and me, we just don't agree. Oh, don't worry about that. It's it's fine. You've got the physique for it. You've got the metabolism and the physique for the for the carb overloading. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> <laughs> right okay last icebreaker question and then it's on to the unpopular opinions rachel what fictional family would you be a member of if you could um oh actually i don't know the family from schitt's creek definitely <laughs> <laughs> they're fantastic oh, they're just like i don't know if you watch that show but like it just you know it just gets better and better and you just love them more and more and more as it goes on and all four of them are hilarious. Sometimes I talk like Moira Rose now, which is a real bad habit <laughs> break. Um, <laughs> but yeah, definitely. The Rose is from Chips Creek. I've just started it. That has been recommended to me so many times. It's brilliant. It gets better and better and better. I think the moment where you fall in love with it is the last episode of season two. And then it just gets better from, from then on in. Good tip. Yeah. Good questions. Good answers as well. Thank you. Right. Unpopular opinions. What is something that you believe to be true that hardly anybody else agrees with you on? I had thought of something, but now I feel like if I say it, people will think I'm a bit one track. But <laughs> it is to do with Eurovision. <laughs> so I wouldn't want people to get the wrong idea about you. <laughs> but um, my unpopular opinion is, and this is actually true, which is that um, the best music of the 20th and 21st century has come out of the European Song Contest. And that, that also the European Song Contest is like a great mirror of like European politics and actually a really intellectual form of study. Um, when I was at uni, we did a module on international relations and you had to come prepared with like a current news topic. And I would always come in and want to talk about the Eurovision Song Contest and they just could have rolled my eyes at me. And I'm like, look, you want to see European politics in action? Just watch Eurovision Song Contest. It's so easy. So, yeah. That's Did my... anyone agree with you? Was this a really unpopular opinion? Yeah. Yes. A... <laughs> yeah. Although there are people who have like degrees because I've been to a Eurovision conference um, and people have degrees in Eurovision. Like they do their postgrads in kind of Eurovision studies and all that kind of stuff. So it's, Yeah. This is amazing. I, I actually have a friend who's another agency owner who is a huge Eurovision fan and I, she's going to love this episode. All right. Well, look, this is the first time on this podcast that we've had two guests on at the same time. And there's a, I'm really glad that you've both come on. This is, there is a big reason for it. So you both work in very similar roles and you both know each other as well, which is great. You both have the visitor experience forum in common, which we're going to talk about in a little while. But what is really key and what is really shines through with both of you is that you have this real kind of passion and drive for improving sector cooperation. And that's what we want to talk about on podcasts today. And that's why you're both on. But I think for us to get to the grips of why that's key for you both and and the things that you've been doing um, for the last few months to help that, we kind of have to go backwards a little bit. So I'm going to ask you both about your experiences. And Rachel, I, I want to start with you. If you can kind of share with us a little bit about what your your lockdown experience has, has, has been like, you know, what, what have you been able to do? What have you not been able to do? And and how have you um, how have you spent your time, actually? Because I know that you've been furloughed for a, 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 some time of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, firstly, uh, obviously, I was very lucky that, you know, I wasn't personally affected by COVID and nobody I knew was. And so, you know, there's, there's that side of things where you're just lucky that that's, that was your lockdown. But also I, I got to spend it most of it in Scotland and that was great to have a bit of fresh air and space and stuff like that. So that was all that side of things was all really nice. Um, there was 
a bit of frustration in that, and I'm sure this is the case for so many people, the timing of, of the lockdown was, was quite cruel, and particularly for this sector, because it's just when you're about to open up. And we were just about to open an exhibition at Kew Palace, which has been a real labour of love for me, like, you know, three years in the planning, but all about oh. King George III and his mental health. And it's such an important topic and one that I'm really passionate about it. And one, you know, I've really tried to, to bring this exhibition into being and we were like one week away from doing it and then all of a sudden it all just went that was awful and you know at the start where you you still had events in your diary and it was like oh today would have been the press day today would have been the opening day you know oh oh, that was awful really really annoying but I know that lots of people were in in that in that situation as well and then yeah as you said I, I was furloughed quite early on and um yeah I did not did not take that well <laughs> to be honest with you you know that's really no it's interesting because a yeah. lot of people that I've spoken to in kind of my agency world where they've been furloughed there's been really mixed um kind of feelings about it it really for some it felt like a real sense of rejection um yes. and that's really hard to take right in any circumstance yeah. I mean it's a complete ego thing I just couldn't bear the idea that I wasn't critical to the business and I, you know it made total sense because uh, my site is seasonal we took the decision we weren't going to open this year so I'm kind of not needed now until until next year but yeah there was it was a real kind of blow to the ego and I, I feel awful for my boss like I made such a barking fuss of it and was really <laughs> you know really whinging at him but um but yeah they, that kind of took a bit of, of getting used to and a bit of kind of having to get to grips with that idea because yeah it's a real boost that you go and like I'm somebody who I've got a lot of t- lot tied up in, in work and that's really important to me so to have that sort of taken away was like a real a real loss for for a few days while I got my head around that idea yeah, yeah. and Carlton while we were stuck in the UK and Scotland you were locked down somewhere completely different weren't you so you were out in Kuwait can you tell us a bit about what you were doing out there and what it was like yeah no problem yeah so I was stuck in Kuwait during um the corona period um so i was the head of guest experience for a brand new attraction called al salam palace museum um so the museum was set up um by the government um to get people to experience how the palace used to be like before um the invasion of um kuwait in 1990 so the place literally was in ruins um after the war and what the palace was useful before that was kind of to um it's it's kind of like a stately home i would say where international guests like queen the queen and um diana would come and come and stay if they did a royal visits um to kuwait so it was very high profile location so my role was to help with all the operations um i had a team of 16 um and we led the vip element of the, of the organization all the tours um of the museum um as well as all the back office at the call center and that kind of stuff sure. um on there so it was very interesting regarding lockdown um because the government i will say they did a really good job in kuwait where they shut everything down straight away it was kind of like let's shut everything down and let's see what happens i think they can afford that as a government because they kind of depending on oil money so for them, it was kind of like, OK, we, we can kind of ma- manage all of that. But as a museum, it was really tricky um, because I think everyone was in the situation worldwide. We had no idea kind of what to do in that scenario where we've had loads of pre-booked tickets, um, kind of contacting our guests saying, hey, you know, we can't, we're, we're not open at the moment. And then uh, trying to understand what to do for, with our staff after that as well. 
So it was a very, very tricky um, situation for us, but amazing. Was it a lockdown? Was it similar to what it was like here? You know, were you actually, were you allowed out? Were you, you know, could you go to the supermarket? That kind of stuff. It was very, very different. It was like in two types of lockdown. So you had a lockdown, which meant that all um, retail outlets and leisure were all closed. So everything was closed except for supermarkets and pharmacies and hospitals. So they were the three things that were opened. And then on top of that, we had a curfew. So we were only allowed to go out of our homes for a specific time. I think the the most challenging one we had was 22 hours curfew. So 22 hours in our homes and then two hours we were all allowed to leave um, in like 40, 45 degree weather. Wow. Wow. So if you didn't leave, you'd be literally stuck in your house. So I decided, why not start doing a 10K walk um, in 45 degree weather? Um, (laughs) Of course. It's exactly what would have gone through my mind. Of course. Something to do. Something to do. (laughs) Um, So that's kind of what I did um, during lockdown. Um, and kind of just been there for my staff kind of on WhatsApp and just making sure that everyone was okay. Um, unfortunately, at that point, my uh, my contract finished. So I was literally stuck in Kuwait wow. um, because the airport wasn't open. Oh, so, gosh. Yeah. So it was, a, it was, a, it was a, a challenging period, but amazing at the same time. Yeah, it's really, it's so interesting to hear about everybody's individual experiences and what we've been through. I think even um, mine was you know it's it's horrible to kind of say it out loud sometimes because I know how difficult it's been but actually there was elements of mine that was really pleasant it was easy for us all to kind of pick up our laptops pick up our computers and work from home it's a very lucky position to be in but um I quite liked working from home I quite enjoyed that kind of that slow slightly slower pace of life not having to rush around quite a lot was quite was quite nice but I think I'm thinking back now to when it first kind of started to happen and my first thought when we saw our clients who are in the kind of attractions world and tourism world, when, when we saw them starting to close and then we could see the effect that it was going to have long term, my instant reaction was like, what, what can we actually do to help? You know, what, what is there that we have that we can help? Um, and we started, you know, I think I sat down one Saturday and just started to pull together loads of resources that were being put out people were very generous with their time and with their the information that they were they were kind of putting out there and so yeah I started a blog where I started to collate um, support and advice for the industry and kind of bring it all together and what I liked about what the two of you did as well and this is this is how we get around to talking about the sector cooperation is that it's kind of what you did as well in various in various guises Rachel you shared a post on LinkedIn that I saw um, that was a toolkit that you put together for frontline managers. And it was slightly, it was slightly kind of later down the process. So a few months after kind of lockdown, but it was about how people could bring their front of house team back safely and what was important to them. And I thought, this is fantastic. You know, it's so, it's such a generous thing to do to, to put that kind of information out there. Like, how did that come about? How did you start to do that? Yeah, so, well, one of the things that I, um, I guess, was a bit upset about in terms of furlough was that, you know, as an operations manager, you wait your whole life for something like this to happen. And so you can really get in there and manage a crisis, you know. (laughs) And then I couldn't because I was on furlough. So I was just like, well, this is a terrible nightmare. (laughs) And so 
one of the things I did just to try and keep my head in the game was um, to go out on, on Twitter and just ask um, if NMG needed a hand with their reopening plans because like that's something I really enjoyed doing opening places and you know Carlton's the same it's a real rush about reopening somewhere or opening somewhere it's like it's all good and everybody was doing that and so um, I talked to a few different organizations and helped them just just kind of yeah just kind of go run through their operation their, their reopening plans and just kind of troubleshoot them and try and suggest things and, and that sort of thing and so that was really good and kind of kept my head in the game but then there was a common thread throughout a lot of those conversations and some of the kind of wider discussions within the sector about front of house and the fact that most of them were furloughed and so not really being consulted about what was going to happen when they came back and then from a financial point of view they were kind of mostly going to be brought back quite soon before they were then expected to be on the floor delivering a completely different role you know from what we've always asked them to do we've always encouraged people to be very engaging uh, and you know and and not try, trying to get away from that idea particularly in museums of the kind of warder and the sort of policing of the space mm. and now we were going to have to ask them to do that and that's not what we hired them for not what we trained them for so it's a completely different role and another thing was that a lot of um, first line managers so people who have come into their first kind of supervisor or team leader or management job a lot of them are you know quite young it's maybe their first manager job and I just I was just worried that there wasn't going to be that support there for them to sort of think through what they were going to have to do because everybody was so busy and so stretched and so what I want to do with, with that was just create something that was like not a manual because every every site is going to be really different but just a sort of toolkit just to help people think through the things that they want to you know the, the, how they can best support front of house and so I asked there's a lot of front of house people on Twitter and I saw I asked them what they wanted to see when they came back and I thought about my own experience because I've worked front of house as well and kind of put together something that I thought would would be helpful. And it's been really well received hasn't it and you've yeah. you've gone on and added you've actually now started a blog and added more and more resource to that as well so there's obviously been a demand for for that kind of information and help. Yes yeah I mean it was there was yeah there's there was that, then there was other stuff to do with the fact, so I was doing also my master's research in crisis management at the same time. So there was resources that came out of that as well. So eventually I just kind of needed a place to put all the stuff and to allow people to access it and, and also to point to other resources that were being help, helpful at the time because there was lots of other stuff coming out from the sector as well. And so, yeah, that's why I started that website, just to have a, just to have a place really to kind of put all this stuff so that it can continue to be useful. It's brilliant. I think, you know, if that that is, it's one of the heartwarming things that has come out of all of this is how generous people have been and, and wanting to help and help others. And I think that um, I'd love to see that continue within the sector. I mean, it's definitely, ha- I can I can see that that's, that's happening. It's happened in other sectors as well. There's been, you know, so much advice that's been out there for, for kind of agency leaders um, that we've been able to kind of draw down on and, sh- and share with as well. Colton, you, you actually, so prior, you know, this is, this has been set up for quite a number of years, but the VE forum, the visitor experience forum, you're a co-founder of that forum, right? Can you, yeah. can you tell us a little bit about it? Because what I saw was some really great kind of engagement in that community over lockdown. And also you put out webinars and things to kind of help the sector, so yeah, we we started um, in 2016. So there's four of us, and we were all kind of like heads of departments in various attractions. And we was I remember we were just sitting down and we we're just talking like, okay, like we're having all these issues, and I bet there's other people in the same shoes as us that have the same issues, and but we just don't have the opportunity to talk about it. 
so we kind of decided let's let's kind of just do like an, a little small event you know a little little meetup event in in the bar um and we did and we slowly found out that there was a massive um need for a space for people just to talk i, I call it like the counseling sessions uh, especially <laughs> our, our meetups because uh as as this experienced professionals um we're constantly on the go we just don't stop so having that space to do so and it's it's been amazing the 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 warmth and the welcome that we've received from people from all over the sector it's been amazing um like so far we've got about 700 members wow. that is linked to 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 the forum um from a around about 350 att- attractions and businesses um and then we have an associate members as well which is about 250 um that makes up and then alongside that we have sponsors as well and with the combination of these people um we're literally making the industry better in kind of problem solving and sharing information in a in a very cool um cool and safe environment where they can do so um we mainly aim for kind of management level so um anyone kind of from um heads of departments and up that can come in and kind of kind of share ideas and and areas and and we do also organize six different uh, types of events from meetups as i I mentioned we do a seminar on an annual basis um last time we did um we had about 300 people turn up um for both our seminar and our award ceremony which we're really really proud about but the main purpose of the forum is literally sharing information and learning from each other Um, and that is the key of, of, of what we do we are all volunteers as well so we don't get paid to do any of this. We do this kind of the goodness of our hearts because we're passionate about the uh, the sector and we love what we do. And we just want to make sure that people enjoy their jobs as, as well as as well as we do as well. So, yeah, it's brilliant. And I think it's that kind of field of dreams um, type scenario, isn't it? If you build it, they will come. So, you know, you've, you've built it and now people are really kind of coming yeah. and they're really engaged with it. Is that, is that quite a new thing for the sector though? Has it always been like this or is that, you know, just in recent years, people have become a bit more kind of uh, open to peer to peer learning and, and, and sharing experiences with each other? I think there are other organizations that are out there, but they're paid. And I think that's a massive barrier for people that want to learn um, that don't really have high paying jobs or not in really critical, critical roles. So we kind of saw a need of of that them type of people, and just just kind of just like being there for someone who just needs an extra helping hand who's not linked to your organisation, is it makes such a difference, such a difference. Yes, it, and you've put so you, the some of the things that you've been doing to support the industry during lockdown, you put out a number of webinars. Um, you've got you had a specialist LinkedIn group which had been it was a really great place to go because what was lovely is that every day there was kind of updates being posted in there about you know the you know the alpha updates what was happening um, and so it was kind of a real-time support for everybody that was a member of that group and they could see you know all of the information that you were putting in there. Exactly exactly we're here to support um, people in the industry and anything we can do um, as a team to do so we will 
we're all about open communication um, so if if members have any questions about oh um, about procurement or um, how do I organize my queuing system during COVID like what are you guys doing then they have that space on LinkedIn where they can have that have them conversation so they don't even really have to wait for us um, as of this experience forum they can actually take the initiative themselves with the group of people around them to 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 build that network and build that connection so everybody can make sure our visitors has the best experience possible yeah and Rachel you're a, a member of the visitor experience so you kind of see it from the other side as well so Carlton's talked a lot about you know how how it's been set up and what they do you know how have you found it as a member have you felt you know there's been an awful lot of support for you and and, and it's been useful yeah it's a fantastic group I mean I think one of the the best events I think that they do are the hacks they are my absolute favorite so hacks are like when um somebody has a particular problem so for example I held a hack when I worked at the Natural History Museum because I had to I was trying to get rid of the dinosaur queue which if anybody's ever been to the Natural History Museum you'll know is quite big <laughs> and you have a hack you just say I've got this problem and the sort of you send out the bat signal and the visitor experience forum sort of descend with people who are interested in solving that problem and you all sit around a table and kind of hash it out and there was one recently at the London Transport Museum looking at their kind of entrance. It's just the most fun. And it's so it's so good if you're the person that has the problem because you have people who are interested in that problem. Whereas in operations, usually you're the only person in your organization. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas these are all attractions, operations, absolute geeks. And I mean that in the best way possible. And that's brilliant. But then as well just to sort of be a participant in them it's so refreshing to focus on somebody else's problems for a while um the, the one at the transport museum i really enjoyed and like it just yeah that's just a really great thing to do and and something that wouldn't i don't think happen in a lot of other sectors as well um but you know the sector is like that it is very open and very sharing and and i think the other side of it as well is the social side i mean i love visitor attractions people they're, the, they're just the most fun they've all got really dark awful senses of humor and you know <laughs> i just have that kind of personality where it, they're just fun people to kind of go and get a, a drink with and so that, that that kind of social side is definitely something that we need to think about how we're going to try and take that forward with the kind of social restrictions that are in place at the moment but that's a really important thing it's not just about the information and the sharing of experiences that moral support as well yeah, it's interesting, actually, because I guess, Colton, you've got a bit of a challenge on your hand in terms of how you plan kind of the events that we're I mean, usually you'd be running events all throughout the year. But I guess now we're kind of looking at 2021 and what that means and how how you run them in the best way. You know, yes, we've all we've all sat on webinars. They've had varying degrees of success, right? Let's face it. They're not all brilliant. Sharing. It's yeah, a, it's a, you know, but, but you're very much kind of being talked at a lot of the time. And yeah. there's, it's less collaborative in a way. So I guess um, that's a challenge for you in terms of how, you know, how you run a hack. You know, can you do this virtually now? How, how, how do we make those work? What was lovely is I saw that... Um, there was a quiz night wasn't there there was a visitor experience forum quiz night and I know that that went down really well and I guess like you say Rachel that's a big part of being part of an organization and a group like this that it's that social side of things so it's really lovely to see that that could at least carry on yeah that was that was a really good night so um I was hosting that with another member of the group and we kept on bringing every time after a round we just would bring somebody up on the screen so that Carlson popped up from Kuwait with his little orange juice (laughs) and it was so nice to see people it was just so nice to sort of see people in their back gardens or wherever they were and just you know we hadn't we hadn't seen our friends for a really long time and it was it was so nice to get together and chat it was really good it was a really good evening 
yeah yeah it's lovely so what are the plans Cohen? do you have kind of an, uh, an idea about what it will look like for 2021 at the moment or is that all still kind of up in the air it's at the moment it's still up in the air um so we're, we're still really focused in in organizing these events but we just kind of have to wait and see and um because of the social distancing measures and gatherings as well um, that's set by the the government, we just have to be very, very mindful and respect um, what's been said. Um, But we're still still keen on organising our seminars, our war ceremonies, our meetups. Some of them we might just have to continue doing it virtually, which is not ideal, but at least we can still have that that contact with, with our members. We also do one-to-ones as well. So people will reach out to myself and other co-founders and try and get like advice and stuff. So I did a lot of that when I was in Kuwait. Um, so attractions would just kind of reach out and say, hey, we have this issue, you know, can I get get some advice? I'm, I'm like, yeah, no problem. Um, happy to help on there. I think what I was going to say, um, one of my favorite events that I, we do um, at the forum is a seminar. Um, and Rachel's been great. She, she's actually spoke at the seminar and ha- how it is it's like a mini ted talk so uh, <laughs> it's a very generous way of just straight <laughs> no no seriously no, it's great though no, it's a the mini ted talk the speaker has 10, 10 minutes to kind of share their, their message and i remember rachel was sharing her message about her pag- pagoda um opening and kind of <laughs> Yes, you think that's a euphemism. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not that kind of show, Rachel. <laughs> oh, isn't it? Oh, sorry. For that. Um, <laughs> that was a building at Q that we opened in. Thank you for clarifying yeah. that. <laughs> so yeah, no, it was. It's it's what I love about the forum is us giving opportunities for our members to do stuff that they would not normally do as well. Mm-hmm. So speaking at our conferences and building that confidence and building their personal profile. We've had two of our members actually go to America to actually speak at other visitor experience conference wow. based on their talk in our, in our conference, which is fantastic. So anything we can do to support, um, I think Rachel, I don't know if you remember this guy called James, um, it was like a young guy from the London Transport Museum. Yes. Um, and he was, he was brilliant um, because he was like an apprentice um, at the London Transport Museum. And he was like talking to us, like there's a room, a hundred field people, uh, visit experience professionals. And he goes like, you know, if you were like working in this industry, you know, if you like working there, you know, I will really recommend it. And it was, it was so brilliant to to kind of having him talking about how the industry is for him but sometimes we forget because we're so caught up in our jobs um it's kind of really refreshing and that's kind of what our our, our seminars are all about yeah. just giving a new perspective or reminding us of how we used to feel um back in the day and uh, so we can go back to our team there's not that many conferences where it's free it's all focused on visitor experience you've got front of house people there you've got front of house people speaking you've got front of house people winning awards like there's not that many things in the industry where that would actually happen so it's just it's just very grounded very simple but absolutely fantastic oh it's love do you know what was really nice as well is while you were talking about that cult and your face was literally like lit up there was a real <laughs> kind of but it's, but it's nice there was a real kind of sense of like one i think pride probably because you've created something that it gives people these opportunities but it just it's really heartwarming to see you know um 
what I just want to go back to is you mentioned about offering people, you know, one-to-one advice and just, you know, being completely open to help. And that is, that for me is the one thing that has, has been so, it, again, I'm like heartwarming again to see throughout this crisis is people just saying, I'm here, you know, like hit me up, I can help. Rachel, I know that you've been offering um, pro bono, you know, one-to-ones with people as well. Is that to share, you talked a little bit about your MA research yeah. um, into crisis management. Is that to share some of your learnings from that with them about the situation? Yeah, so this was um, uh, the research I was doing, which was meant to be on my exhibition. <laughs> and of course, <laughs> be. so I swiftly changed it to crisis management, which felt quite pertinent. But yeah, that research was essentially, I did 10 interviews with um visitor operations people about their kind of experiences of, of shutting down so and they were just you know those transcripts have just ended up being the most kind of fascinating and often actually quite emotional accounts of like you know what's really the kind of couple of the most challenging weeks that, in somebody's career usually um so yeah there's, there's a lot that's come out of that in terms of learning and I feel that what a lot of our organizations haven't had the time to do yet is actually sit down and look at their experience of that initial phase of that kind of crisis management and the shutdown and um and kind of have a bit of a wash up and a bit of a lessons learned which which most people would do in any normal circumstance but because because this is a very odd shape of crisis and it's kind of not over yet and it's kind of mutating into another crisis of a financial recession people have been so focused on reopening and staying open that um there just hasn't been the time sir to do that and it's a really valuable learning opportunity so what i'm going to be doing with a few organizations over the next few weeks is actually going through that process with them and kind of doing it for them so that they can learn some of the lessons that they went through but also from the research that i've been doing so that if there is a second wave or there's a war or aliens invade or whatever the next unprecedented thing is then you know the people really are kind of ready for it I was going to ask you actually about sharing um, maybe some top tips from your crisis management learnings. I mean, would that actually be one of them is to go back and do a debrief of, of what's happened and kind of really sit down and, and look at what, what happened in the processes? Absolutely. I mean, it's such, it's such a valuable learning opportunity because we so rarely get to practice these muscles in real life. You know, you might do your tabletop exercises or your fire drills, but this was like a real life crisis that happened to every single institution in the country. And that's such a valuable learning opportunity. There's a, a, a sort of crisis management scholar called Patrick Lagadec who calls crises a, an abrupt and brutal audit, which I really love. And I've stolen that title from my dissertation because I think that's the most important role that a crisis does. It, it, does, it offers that opportunity to just really assess your skills at dealing with crisis. And, and it's too good an opportunity to pass up, really. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I kind of want to talk about what comes next for the sector in terms of how people have been cooperating and sharing their, their knowledge. You know, I want to ask you both, what do you see next? I mean, like you said, Rachel, we are kind of, the crisis isn't ended. We're still in the middle of it. It's just mutating and changing every day. Do you think that this is something that's here to stay, the level of support that people have been offering? Um, what do you think it will look like and, and, and will continue to look like as we go into 2021. I think, yeah, I think you're right. It's, I don't, I don't think it's a new thing. I think the sector has always been super open and helpful. In fact, one of the people that I interviewed made the point that, you know, if you worked, if you were the head of Marks and Spencer's, you couldn't ring up next and be like, how much money did you make last week? You just wouldn't do it. Whereas there always has been that within the sector. So I think it's, it's not something that people have just done because there's a crisis. It's something that has been ongoing throughout 
I mean, it's definitely come out when my research, one of the big themes was how great the sector was. And actually that sort of filled a bit of a gap in terms of maybe the communication from official channels wasn't always the clearest in terms of this kind of <laughs> useful government briefings. <laughs> <laughs> Which ended very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> And actually, even somebody I was interviewing as well, even the fact that they were at five o'clock meant that you couldn't make changes for the next day in your attraction. So things like that, just, you know. So, um, yeah, so it really kind of plugged a hole that was ne needed to be filled in terms of support and information and experience. Most of that came from the sector. In fact, in, in one of the surveys that I did, 81% of people said that the most, it, it, the most useful thing in terms of resources was information from their, from their colleagues in the sector way above kind of government um, updates. So yeah, it's, it's something that um, has always been the sector, but has just come out a lot stronger. I think um, as we go forward, what I'm kind of worried about is, is the, the slightly more junior level. So you're, again, those first line managers, because in my research, it came out that they didn't necessarily have the same sort of networks as their more senior colleagues, that they felt a little bit more disconnected from the sector. So whilst we already had all these networks in place and we just kind of turned it up, they didn't necessarily have that. And now I, I worry if this is, you know, a state that's here to stay, that how are they, how are they going to go to those networking events? How are they going to, you know, get started and, and, and build those networks? I, I really don't want a whole generation of, of visitor experience managers to, to lose out on kind of having that wider network because, you know, as we've seen it, it is so important. Um, but then again, I think a lot of these things grow organically and, you know, people will find a way. I mean, when I first started out as a manager, there wasn't, the kind of networks that you get in Twitter now, even just in museums, is sort of, you know, museum as muck, museum detox, front of house museums, all these grassroots kind of um, groups that have grown up and that a lot of it does happen online. So maybe that is, you know, maybe that's the way forward. But I think it would be a shame if, if people couldn't meet face to face and have these conversations that we all know are, are really useful. Yeah, for sure. But it's about finding the ways that they can continue yeah. until we can get back to that point of doing more of the face-to-face -face things. Mm -hmm. I mean, Carlton, maybe, you know, just hearing from what Rachel said, maybe that's something that the Visitor Experience Forum can concentrate on is that kind of slightly junior level of people that don't have the network. The Visitor Experience Forum could be something that is is kind of key to those to that to that level of yeah. You're, no, you're definitely right. I, again, we're here for everybody who needs our support as much. As, I mean, yeah, we're, we're mainly focused on on senior management, but yeah, there's always a need for kind of the 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 next generation of people um, in the industry that need that support. I remember working um, in the industry way 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 long long time ago and didn't have any support at all. Um, during my career when I came up so having kind of forum there in place it has definitely helped out but also having the people members who are attending the forum to share that information as well is key yeah as well it's no, it's no point holding that information in you mm -hmm. sharing that as well um, is very very important and also I think it's the responsibility of, of senior managers to make sure that those people who are coming up in their team do have access to that yeah. I mean I started going to the visitor experience forum all those years ago because a more senior colleague brought me along you know so it, it's it, it's a responsibility that I think people have to take seriously you have to sort of usher them, them into the world and uh, <laughs> I hope that they don't get too drunk <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably more likely to be us 
That's very true. I've loved speaking to you both. I've got one more question for you both before we end the podcast today. And I always like to ask our guests if there's been a book that's helped um, shape their career in some way or just a book that they absolutely love that they'd love to share. Yes. So I've got one. Which is, um, it's, a, it's very kind of heritage focused, but it's, it's called um, Anarchist's Guide to Historic House Museums. Um, by Franklin Baglioni and uh, Deborah Ryan and it's it's kind of it really challenges what it means to be a historic house museum and kind of you know goes against that kind of very staid guided tour model and kind of looks at what can it be as a visitor experience and what can it be in terms of community value. The author uh, Frank he's he also does um, a project called One Night Stand where he goes and sleeps in different historic houses and then sort of does a blog on it. He's he's American but he came to do one at, at Kew Palace and obviously we wouldn't let him anywhere near the beds, but, <laughs> but it was amazing. And it's really, his, the way he sees kind of historic houses is really shaped like how I now deal with my historic properties. And he's all about kind of trying to use the house in a, a natural, as a natural way as possible. Um, one of the properties that I manage at Q is Queen Charlotte's Cottage. And it's a kind of, it's a folly. It was never lived in. It was just a sort of, it's just a really posh summer house. Um, and we used to take people around in a sort of tour. And then I realised that the point of that was so that you could, the royal family could enjoy the gardens. And the minute I realised that, it, it just completely changed how we used that space. And then we put deck chairs, garden games out, and it's, it was about the outside of the cottage, not the inside. Right. And so I think that's really helped me to sort of see, actually, if you can get as close as possible to the original purpose of that building, it just becomes a much more natural visitor experience. So, yeah, that book has really kind of shaped my thinking in, in, in terms of that. Oh, I love that. That's great. I really love that experience that you've been through kind of with the folly and understanding, you know, what people, what it is that they're not actually coming to look at the folly. It's almost about being inside it and looking out at everything else. Right. It's about about the visitor experience. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Who knew? (laughs) Colton, what about you? Do you have one that you'd like to share? Yeah, I think that there's one book that I've, I've, I've kind of read and really enjoyed and it's called Outside In. It's very American. Um, style but it really focuses on how to put your customer in the center in everything you do so it talks about the different kinds of frameworks um, kind of like customer journey mapping empathy mapping and why that is very important but it also gives you like really cool case studies as well in 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 that book so yeah outside in can't remember who who's is written by but for me that's that one that kind of jumps out at me Brilliant. Great book recommendations. Well, as ever, if you would like to win a copy of those books, um, if you head over to our Twitter account, which is skip underscore the underscore Q and retweet this episode announcement with the comment, I want Carlton and Rachel's books, then you'll be in with a chance of winning them. It's been really brilliant to have you both on today. What we're going to do in the show notes, we'll link out to the Visitor Experience Forum. It's free to join the Visitor Experience Forum, which is incredible. Um, And we'll put all of the details on how to do that in the show notes. Um, Rachel, we will link out to your blog. If you can just give us the domain name for that. Yeah, so it's um, therecoveryroomblog.com and practical resources have just gone up, which is a, a site shutdown template so that you can plan for another lockdown. 
and we've done some practical training scenarios that you can use for, for crisis management tabletop exercises. So there's lots of there's lots of free practical stuff going up there in the next few weeks as well. So yeah. Brilliant. It is incredibly useful. Please go and check that out. It, it is a really, really great resource. All the links to it will be in the show notes. And um, that just leaves me to say a massive thank you for having you both on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, thank you very much for having us. <laughs> it's been great. Thanks for listening to Skip the Queue. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find us. And remember to follow us on Twitter for your chance to win the books that have been mentioned. Skip the Queue is brought to you by Rubber Cheese, a digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for attractions that helps them increase their visitor numbers. You can find show notes and transcriptions from this episode and more over on our website, rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast.